Hi everyone, happy Saturday. It's Shivani and I'm back with episode 40 of the Rare Disorder podcast. In this episode, I chat with Wes Michael, who is the president of Rare Patient Voice. And the Rare Disorder podcast and Rare Patient Voice have very similar missions um, and kind of visions. There's being to include the patient voice in research and kind of really getting the patient voice out there through their research and improving the lives of patients. And obviously through interviewing patients on the Rare Disorder podcast, I have a very similar mission and kind of vision that I'm going for. So very exciting episode today with a very special guest. So let's get right into it. Now it's time for the best part, today's guest. Today I have a special guest on the podcast with me. I'm so excited to have Wes Michael with me on the Rare Disorder podcast today. Wes has deep expertise in the rare disease community as president of Rare Patient Voice. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today, Wes. To start, I wanted to ask if you could give an introduction of yourself and just a little bit about your background, position, and and more. Well, thanks, Giovanni. This is great. I'm excited to be here and, and to share everything that we do with, with all your listeners. Um, so I've, uh, uh, I started a company called Rare Patient Voice almost nine years ago. Um, and, uh, but I'll, I'll, start, I'll start before that. I was, I was an English major in college. So what do you do if you're an English major? I don't know. But I, <laughs> I was... Uh, I was editing uh, journals and stuff, and it turns out part of that job was doing surveys, and I was learning a little bit about market research, and I got interested in market research. And then I went back and got a graduate degree and, and learned more about marketing and statistics and all the things I knew nothing about. And, uh, and I started doing market research for consumer products like uh, Cheerios and uh, spices and things like that. And uh, so very, very interesting. But then I got... Um, uh, I moved to the field of healthcare, the pharmaceutical, biotech, devices, and things like that. And that was very interesting to learn about that and to um, uh, apply market research and learn, learn about patients and, and physicians and all sorts of people in the healthcare field, what their, what their thinking was to help companies better uh, interact with them, come up with better products and things like that. All right, so what would you say, like, kind of got you into the rare disease field and kind of got interested in rare diseases from there? Yeah, so, so I started in, uh, so when I was in the healthcare field, it wasn't, at, at the beginning, it wasn't particularly rare disease, it was just various different diseases I would, I would research. And a client uh, came up to us, a client that was uh, doing a lot of work and had treatments for hemophilia. And hemophilia is rare. It was even rarer then, uh, because fewer, fewer people, only a few thousand in the whole country. And they came to me, uh, or the company I was working with, and said, can you guys build a panel of patients, people that we could go out to from time to time and ask questions and do surveys and have interviews, just because we really want to know what they're thinking. Um, and, and so we said, hmm, let's try to do that. So we, cre- we went to the National Hemophilia Foundation. It's a big organization, one of the big organizations. And they have a national conference, and people come in from all over the country. So we went there. We set up a table, a booth, you know, a booth with signs and clipboards and giveaway items and such, and uh, invited people and said, hey, if you're interested in taking part, answering questions from time to time, doing surveys, 
please sign up. And people did. It worked out really well. Mm-hmm. And so that was my first foray into um, rare diseases. Mm-hmm. And then um, what, uh, we would go every year back to the National Hemophilia Conference. And one year, a different company that was involved in hemophilia treatments came up and said, hey, I hear you have this wonderful panel of patients. Can we access it for our questions? And we couldn't do that because it was paid for by a different company. But it got me thinking, hey, what if we created a panel that a lot of people could um, access the patients? Mm -hmm. And my first thought was hemophilia because we had done it with hemophilia. I had done a lot of work with uh, hemophilia over the years. So I knew there was a lot of interest in that. And that was the first area we did go into. I first thing after I started Rare Patient Voice, I went to the Hemophilia Conference and had our table and, 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 um, and recruited people. And I didn't, real, I didn't know whether there would be uh, interest beyond hemophilia or not. Well, now we have over 700 and some disease areas that we work in. We've done over 6,000 studies, again, across all sorts of diseases. And every one is different and everyone i like you know it's every disease is worse than the last one you just heard of it's just uh, so many conditions that the chain that people mm-hmm. have to go through but uh, fortunately there's so much you know going on with them but um so yeah we've done so much in that and then that got me into the uh, rare disease communities mm-hmm. so what would you say that your favorite part about rare disease advocacy is in the community you know, I think uh, the best part is meeting with patients and caregivers. A lot of times it's like parents of kids or, or spouses, that kind of thing. Because when you first hear about a disease or read about it, and, and, and again, so many of them are so debilitating, so difficult, and have such you know, horrible consequences, mm-hmm. and change people's lives. Um, uh, the first thought is, boy, if I were diagnosed with that, or a loved one was, how would I, what would I do, how would I handle it? And, and, and I go to these events and I see these people and they're like upbeat and, and they're fighting it and they're taking it on and they're learning things. And that's the, and then, I, then I, well, I think, well, it's not like they were just diagnosed today. Because, you know, when you're first diagnosed, there's a lot to process. You know, mm-hmm. think about and learn. So I'm seeing people after they've done that and made a decision to take action, right, to do what they mm-hmm. can, to learn, to go to these events. So to me, it's so inspiring to see people that um, have been kind of dealt a, a, dealt a bad hand, if you will, in some of these diseases, but not 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 just doing self-pity. They're like, what can we do about it? How can we help? How can we help find new treatments? How can we, all the things that they do. So to me, it's, it's really inspiring. So if you just have a bad day, you think that's nothing compared to what these people are going through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, I, I find it really inspiring. Yeah, definitely. I feel like especially... Um, one thing that really stands out about our community is just like the hope among the patients and that they're really actionable trying to help with like policy things like that I feel like um, although they might be going through like their diagnosis and like really fighting their rare condition I feel like we always can come together and really see this resounding theme of hope among our community which is really great and I find really inspiring as well Great. That's great. That's nice. Um, all right. So just kind of going into rare patient voice now, I was wondering if you could kind of describe um, the missions, goals, and objectives of this organization, essentially what it does for the community. Sure. So, so our mission is to give patients 
and they're caregivers. And by caregivers, I typically mean a family member, um, an unpaid, not, 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 not a physician member, a family member that's helping them. Give them an opportunity to express their opinions, share their experience, uh, to help companies that are working on treatments or services, uh, to help them make better, better treatments, better services, improve things. Because um, they can't do it without hearing from the patients directly. Uh, it's just, it, otherwise you'll come up with a, uh, something that's not really for them. You really have to go to the folks to do that. So our objective is to, is, is to give people that chance. And uh, to do that, uh, we have to go, we have to find patients. So we have to, uh, uh, prior to COVID, we would go out to so many patient events, uh, walks and conferences. Uh, we set up a whole team to go around um, uh, to you know, whatever city they lived in. They could go to the, an MS walk on a weekend or a, uh, a fab or whatever the disease is, mm -hmm. um, the walks, the conferences and stuff, and introduce themselves and talk to people and people and explain what market research is. So people, you know, it's like it's, it's confidential. Um, nobody gets your information. You can, uh, you can do it all with your own, giving your own consent and your permission. And they get compensated. People get mm -hmm. compensated at $100 per hour at a time. So most people are love it that, that they, somebody cares. They want their opinion. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's so good. You know, some, some people living with these diseases, their family's tired of hearing about it. <laughs> uh, friends and neighbors say, well, you look fine. They, they, not everybody gets it, but when you do some of this research, people are very in tune. They've studied it. They know about it, and they really want to hear what people have to say. So people love that. And then on top of that, people get, get paid. So it's like, it's like gravy on top. They, 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 it's, it's like a win-win. It's like mm -hmm. So um, that, that, that's been our mission, and um, we're, we're happy to have expanded now that we're you know, have over 100,000 patients across those 700 and some different disease areas. So. Mm -hmm. uh, it's our, and our mission to constantly grow and find more folks that are interested in taking part. Mm -hmm. So given this, could you talk about like some of the initiatives and programs that Rare Patient Voice is currently doing um, and kind of give like a brief overview of these and if there are our listeners today who may be wanting to get involved with these programs, sure. how they can get involved? Sure. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things we have going on. I'm, I'm, we're coming up on Rare Disease Day. I don't know. Um, when actually when you'll broadcast the 28th of the last day of February is a rare disease day mm -hmm. and um, uh, unfortunately during COVID this is a virtual event it's very nice when it's in person we always go into to the one in uh, Bethesda at the NIH National Institutes of Health but it, it's going to be a virtual event so we always love to meet so many patient advocates there and hear their stories and, and do that so that's 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 upcoming in the broader sense we uh, the key things we have we're, we're, we're growing um around the world so we've expanded into europe uh patients in in, in europe in, in the in the uk germany france italy and spain the big bigger countries we'll invite people from anywhere but those are the ones we're especially especially targeting folks and um and we've just expanded in australia and new zealand so that's very exciting uh, mm -hmm. to allow folks down there to, to share their voice and get 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 up get on the record Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that's, that's pretty new to us just in the last few months is um, in, in addition to the clinic, to, to the market research where people just share their opinions, um, we've been involved more and more in clinical trials where people can learn about a trial that they or a loved one might qualify for and, and bring that to their attention and let, you know, see if that works for them because there's so many clinical trials always going on that could save people lives, but they mm -hmm. don't always know about them. Um, and, and it's a great thing for people to learn about and talk with their doctor, make a decision whether 
that might be something that, that's worth trying for them. So we're inviting folks um, to learn about that as well. That's great. It seems like a lot of different things are going on, especially I feel yeah. like um, the expansion thing of expanding into Europe and Australia and things like that. I feel like bringing in new patient populations um, and kind of learning about the um, difficulties that rare disease patients experience in those areas versus the United States, I feel like will definitely really bring an interesting perspective um, yeah. just because of like the different healthcare systems, things like that. Um, and I know that, like, especially in Europe, there's very high prevalence of um, population with rare disease. Like, I think it's a bit higher than the United States. Yeah, um, um, it'll, it'll be interesting. We, we're just, you know, we're just starting to, to look there and find people, but we're, um, we're eager to sign them up and, and learn their opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so in the rare disease space, so you've obviously had a lot of experience like kind of interacting with patients, meeting new people, things like that. Um, so I was wondering, like, what do you believe are some prominent topics in the space? Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on things like misdiagnosis, access to treatment, um, just any topics that are really important to you and you really think are really important in the space. Right. Well, you know, one of them that is very, very topical now, especially since COVID, is telemedicine, telehealth, you know, having appointments remotely. Um, we actually had, did a, a survey, and we're in the middle of another one, to get patients' opinions about that and what they think. And it's very fascinating. Uh, again, it doesn't solve every problem. There's certain things, obviously, where people need to go in in person and get blood taken or whatever it might be. But uh, so many people told us, um, even before COVID, that would have been a good solution to them. For example, people uh, with anxiety that aren't too interested in going out and sitting in a waiting room with other people in there. People with disabilities, it's very difficult to uh, get in and out of a car and get into these waiting rooms. They would have loved to have the opportunity to, to do a remote visit before that. And then people with other conditions, like some, some folks with Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, things like that, where... They really want to stay home. Uh, they want to stay home close to their own bathroom rather than be out and all the, all the issues they might have. So uh, finally, some of these people said some of their needs are met because a lot of people in the same boat and didn't, you weren't able to go out. So mm -hmm. that's really helped people. And hopefully a lot of the positive about the telemedicine will, will stay. People will still be able to use it and have it covered and things like that. Because, um, uh, and then with, with rare diseases, so often, uh, to go to see a specialist in your area, you may have to travel quite a long ways. And that is quite an imposition on people in terms of they're trying to work and it's their time and, and money and their family. So the more that they can do that remotely without having to travel really just makes it that, that better. So a lot of people in the rare disease area end up moving to be close to the treatment, especially mm -hmm. the hospital, whatever it might be. I mean, it changes their whole life. So that can allow a little less disruption of people's lives. Um, that's a great, uh, you know, step forward. The, it's kind of a silver lining of, uh, of COVID. You know, we, it, we might have gotten there anyway, but it would have taken a lot, a lot longer. Mm -hmm. So that kind of forced us to try the telemedicine. Mm -hmm. The other thing, and you brought it up, and it's very, very important, we constantly hear, is the misdiagnosis or just the long period of time it can take to get diagnosed with a rare disease. You know, um, in rare diseases, uh, we, we talk about the zebra, right? And I have a, I have a zebra... We have the zebra as our mascot for that reason, because 
because the medical students are taught when they're diagnosing, um, well, if you, if you hoard hoofbeats behind you, don't assume it's a zebra, assume it's a horse. Meaning, if you're diagnosing, start with the most common possibilities, which mm -hmm. makes sense logically. But the rare disease patients, it's, it's, it's very frustrating because um, there are zebras, right? There are rare diseases, and so many of them have been, it's taken so long to get diagnosed because nobody's assuming it. And so many physicians, they're not, they can't be trained on everything in depth, right? There's mm -hmm. so many, and so many of them don't know, or they may never have seen a case of a certain disease. And, and again, it's easy, very easy to, to start off and, and just assume it's something common. The other thing we heard about that, a lot of people feel that there's some bias going on there. I especially heard that among women, among um, people of color, among obese people. They felt like they really weren't being heard. They were being told, oh, that's not your problem. Your problem is this. Your problem. But at any time a disease is delayed in being diagnosed, it's either being mistreated or not treated at all when early treatment might have helped. Mm -hmm. So it's really, a, it's a shame. It's, it's demeaning the people in a way, and then it, it's terrible for their, for their health. Mm -hmm. So that, that issue is, um, is so important. And that's why so many advocacy groups, it's important to them to raise awareness, right? Make mm -hmm. people aware, make physicians aware, make uh, patients aware that they might have a certain condition so that it doesn't go by the wayside. And it doesn't take them five years to get diagnosed. Mm -hmm. So those are very, very um, important issues that we've seen. Yeah, also just newborn screening. Like I've seen a really heavy push for that in the, especially in the last couple of months, I feel like um, that is a really important kind of piece of legislative um, work that really needs to be pushed because I feel like it can help so much with um, late diagnosis and kind of avoiding those things later on. Definitely. Yeah, because yeah, so many of these, there are screens and if a child can be diagnosed right after birth and then the family knows and they can be taught about it and the treatment, if there's a certain treatment or they need to be on the lookout for things, it's, there's no downside. It's just, ah, oh, let's, let's not, let's not hide these things. Let's learn about them as, as early as possible. So, and, and then here in the United States is, as you know, so much of that is state by state. So different states do it differently. So that's part of the push is some states are, are in the advance and other ones are, are trying to, um, you know, use the similar legislation and, and spread it all around so that, uh, so that nobody's left without, you know, with a child and not, not knowing until they're three or four what, what a condition they could have known it right at birth and they could have started to address it immediately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely um, a state-by-state state basis. Um, I know, like, a lot of states already have, like, RDACs and stuff like that formed, and then there's a lot of states that are still trying to push for the formation. Um, so, yeah, definitely, like, it would be a lot better if newborn screening, like, kind of, wasn't all states, but it, it's not that way. So right, right. Um, just pushing like, for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. And then I would love to hear your thoughts on like kind of access to treatment in rare disease, like what you think about that and um, just how that can be possibly combated in the future. Well, you know, there's so many factors with access. Uh, uh, and so much in the United States is obviously about insurance and health insurance and how we get it, and, you know, even with, with the, um, uh, what we call Obamacare, right? The, uh, things that's made open, but it still doesn't, not everybody's covered and everybody has such different 
different insurance, and there's so many co-pays and deductibles and such. Um, so it does, it presents a challenge, especially uh, sometimes with rare diseases, the drug to be used for it may not have been indicated. In other words, it may have been for a different disease, and doctors may say, this will work on yours. But if it hasn't been proven in a trial, and they haven't gotten that, the insurance company might not pay for that use. Mm -hmm. So that, that means, yeah, you can get it if you happen to have the means to pay for it. So that means some people are, are really have, or sometimes doctors have to try over and over again to get permission to get insurance companies to pay for it. So there's, there's, there's that problem that's, that's, you know, certainly widespread, and especially with, with some rare, rare disease. The other simply is um, there's so many rare diseases, or the different people calculate about 7,000 rare diseases, and only a small number have treatments. And some of those treatments might, might not, you know, they're not cures, they might just help a little bit. Um, and so how do we get more and more treatments so that people have something that they can use? So many companies and people with good ideas, but um, it, right, it takes time to, to develop it, to test it. And, you know, we have phase one trials, phase two, phase three, and it has to be approved. Um, and then if during trials, you, you, you know, you, there's this, often people can get compassionate use, hopefully, to help them, but they may or may not be, and it's, it's not always clear. And, you know, people can die while they're waiting to, to get in a trial or waiting for a drug to be developed. So there's that whole issue. Now, again, fortunately, we have more and more companies developing things. And that's, mm -hmm. that's the business that we are in effect, that when we get a request for a survey, it's not people that are just interested, right? They're just, oh, I wonder what they're thinking. It's, mm -hmm. They're generally developing a treatment. And they want to, so, so I always say, when we have a survey, it's good news. Somebody's doing something. It may be really good. It may just be a little improvement, but it's, it's something to help. So th there are so many things being worked on, but um, that's, that's the key issue is eventually, okay, we may have a good drug. How can we make sure people that need it have access to it? Mm -hmm. And that's, of course, what so many of the advocacy groups have been working on. And some of them will help people get access. And sometimes it's not even access to the, to the treatment as much as other things. For example, um, um, my wife worked for a while at the, uh, one of the chapters of the National Kidney Foundation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people with, with kidney failure, they have dialysis and such. Well, some of the issue is they might, they might not have transportation to dialysis or their car might have just broken down. So how can we help them? Because you've got to get there every other day. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't just skip a week or something. And that, or, or, or what happens if, if they're short on money and they can't afford groceries? Well, that's as important as having the right treatment. Mm -hmm. So organizations like that, I know, will help other areas, not just the drugs, but the, 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 the things that the household needs to keep going. Mm -hmm. So it's good that, that, that it's, it's important that these groups do it and keep doing, you know, keep fighting for the patients and tr trying to find it because we're a long way from the, the finish line, but at least we're, at least we're moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing. Um, so just kind of moving on. So I know that rare patient voice is really centered around the inclusion of the patient voice and I know you really hold this value kind of true to yourself and I kind of wanted to know like why is this so important to you you know um, I, I, I hear this at, at different patient events too about um, uh, what patients need and it's not always what the researchers working on the treatments realize I heard a great example like two, two, two great examples one I heard at 
a conference where there were both patients and physicians for pul pulmonary fibrosis. So it's a, a lung disease, and the, the patients, and, 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 it's, and it can be fatal, and, but the patients always have this cough. And the physician, the researchers working on treatment said, but the cough will not kill you. We're working, we're trying to save your life. We're going to work on what we're getting, making your lungs work. But, but the patient says, I thank you. I get it. However, I, this cough is driving me crazy. I don't want to live if I have this cough. No, no, they had to realize what the patient needed in addition to just what it was to, 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 to treat the disease. Um, so, so they need to hear that from patients because they wouldn't know that otherwise. They'd think, well, anybody can have a cough, but we're going to work on the disease. And just today, I was listening to a woman with a disease, uh, EPP, and I won't even try to, I won't even try to pronounce it, but it's a disease where you're hypersensitive to sun, to sunlight. You could just a few seconds in sunlight, and you get uh, the equivalent of burns on your skin. And they found a treatment that. Um, was much better than, than a placebo where it might help them get, say, 20 minutes in the sun uh, would be the equivalent of, of zero otherwise. But they had trouble getting it approved because they said, well, that's not much of an improvement in the patient's lives. Mm -hmm. Well, they got the patients involved who, who said, yes, it is. It completely helps my life. Like uh, things you wouldn't think about. They said, you, if you're riding on the bus and you're on the shady side of the bus where the sun and the bus turns a corner and all of a sudden you're on the sunny side, you have to get up and change seats. And people are thinking, what, 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 you know, why did you do that? What did I do wrong? They're doing it simply because they need to get out of that sunlight. Mm -hmm. And so anything that could help them with that is a huge help to their life, not, not just the disease, but their, their lifestyle. So it, it's things like that is um, if patients, patients can get um, their voices heard, then the researchers know. They learn those things, that you, things that you wouldn't think of. And also I think, you know, if you're just a researcher and you're looking at a study and it says 42%, that's important, but it's not the same as hearing an actual patient give their story. There's something about real people and stories that 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 get into you more, that, that drive you more, they're more motivational. And I think it really helps folks to hear the patient and not just look at a statistics, statistic on a page. Mm -hmm. uh, so all that, I think, really helps move us forward with, with you know, better treatments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I feel like there's just, when you're hearing directly from the patient, there's kind of this special connection. Whereas, um, like if you hear like some medical terms or like medical statistics, I feel like it's yeah. not as impactful and kind of like empowerful. And I feel yeah. like through the podcast, like when I was initially like starting up my podcast, I was also thinking of kind of starting a patient blog, but I went with the podcast just because of like hearing someone's voice and kind of really instilling that personal connection between the listeners, um, whether that's like a medical expert, whoever it is, and then the patient. Um, just because I feel like experiences and stories are much more impactful than like looking at like a research paper or something like that. So yeah, I'm definitely with you on that. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, I think it's, it's great. Um, all right, so just kind of as we close out now, I was wondering if there's like anything that you want to leave my audience with today, um, anything else you'd like to share. Um, this can be like resources, a like some words of wisdom, just anything else you'd like to share today. Well, I certainly want to encourage everyone if they're interested to, to, to sign up, if they're interested in, in sharing their um, opinions and, and surveys and interviews, 
And, uh, and we welcome people uh, not only with rare diseases, but anyone with, 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 with any condition. So they may, they may be a caregiver for a rare disease and, and they can enter as that, but if they, they might have asthma or anxiety or acne just to have three in the, the letter A, right? <laughs> um, please, I, I encourage folks, and, and we have a, a lot of information on our website. We try to be very transparent. But if they go to rarepatientvoice.com, they can learn all about that, and then they can sign up and be invited to take part. So we love to have folks. Um, um, the more we have, the more demand we seem to get to, to invite people to, to, to take part. And they can earn $100 per hour at a time. So it's, you know, it's a win-win. So I'd love to, love to have folks do it. Um, again, we have answer a lot of questions there. And if there's any other questions, please reach out. We have contact information on the website, or I'm on um, LinkedIn, under West Michael on LinkedIn. Should be easy to find me. I'm happy to. I get messages all the time there, and we have a Facebook page for Rare Patient Voice. So just search for Rare Patient Voice. So a lot of different online and other ones that I'm not even. You know, other people are better at than me, like Instagram and TikTok and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. So um, I would just like to thank you so much for joining me today, Wes, and really taking the time to share about like your background, your story, and also Rare Patient Voice. Um, I know my listeners will love listening to this episode, so just thank you so much for taking the time to do this podcast with me today. Well, my pleasure. I always love to tell the story, and, and good luck to you, Shivani, with your, your, your podcast. I think it's a great idea. All right, so that concludes today's episode. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. I hope to see you guys next Saturday. Um, Another episode will be coming out at 2 p.m. Eastern. I hope you all have a great day. Thank you so much once again for listening. And if you have any questions or suggestions on the podcast or if you just like want to be on the podcast, um, feel free to reach out to me at the rare disorder podcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much.